You're listening to Monday Morning Live, part of the We Love Where You Live podcast series brought to you by the Michigan Municipal League. All right, we'll get started. Uh, Welcome everyone to another edition of Monday Morning Live, the webinar and uh, podcast and the Facebook stream. I am Matt Bach, Assistant Director of uh, Strategic Communications for the Michigan Municipal League. Joined here today by our full uh, Lansing team. Welcome everyone, thank you for joining us. Um, we'll dive right in on a couple of big things. Uh, one, uh, John, I did want to talk to you. This is, I don't think you're aware of this, but we did send out uh, an email this morning asking our members to uh, give information to MDOT regarding uh, the number of uh, winter maintenance workers they have uh, and so, so they can get an accurate count when they start doling out the vaccines. Can you tell us a little bit about that, how that came about and why this is important? Yeah, happy to talk about things we didn't place on the agenda. You got it, Matt. Um, (laughs) Sure, fire away. Um, Yeah, no, so we got a call from uh, the Michigan Department of Transportation late Friday afternoon about vaccine distribution. And so while the state has a number of databases that they can pull from, whether that be MCOLs as we think of public safety, specifically for COPS, uh, the way Eagle maintains records or, or Department of Energy Great and Great Lakes, um, the way they maintain records on uh, water and sewer employees and things like that, uh, they can pull those from the state side. What, what MDOT doesn't have and what the state doesn't have is information on what they are requesting as critical winter maintenance workers. So individuals that may plow snow, that may work on the trucks, that may be an electrician that ensure things uh, keep moving, Um, stuff like that. And so what they did is they said, hey, can you reach out to your members and try and help develop a count for us uh, in each of these communities? Now, I will be very clear here. One, we are not involved in the actual distribution of the vaccine, who gets it, when they get it, uh, who takes it, any of that. This is really a, a way for the state to gather a best estimate on how many vaccinations are gonna be needed in particular regions from across the state. So if you look at your own departments, you you may have individuals that both work um, plowing snow and in your water and sewer department. So really what we're asking for you in this very quick two question survey is what community you're from and your best guess uh, on how many uh, critical winter maintenance workers may need a vaccine. if it's not accurate and you say 10 and you end up needing 11, it doesn't mean you're only going to get 10 vaccines and somebody's going to go without it. It is really a way to help with the efficiency and the streamlining for the state to best determine where to send vaccines uh, throughout the state. Uh, that way they don't have too much in one area, not enough in another. Uh, but we do know just in a general sense about vaccine deployment and distribution in the state that they only got a a small allotment right away and that there are many, many more vaccines that are gonna be needed. Um, And I know Harasana, you and I have been talking about this and and you even might be able to weigh in a little bit on some of the information uh, that the state police put out uh, in terms of the actual prioritization of those lists uh, that are out there. So the state has that in place. This is really just an information and data point that they can utilize to help with that distribution that, that they've determined. All right. And uh, so, yeah, that email did go out this morning to all of our members. They should have received it, went to managers. So it didn't go to like city council people, went to the people we thought that had the quickest access to this data. So managers, clerks, uh, uh, things like that, DPW directors, I believe. 
Uh, we do have one question already in about this, John. Do you ex expect similar requests from other employees like water, wastewater, um, that kind of thing? Yeah, so that may come at some point, but but as I was saying, like right now we know, uh, you know, Eagle has some information specifically on water and sewer employees based on their license information. Uh, you know, the state has particular numbers on the number of police officers out there through MCOLs. So you will not get requests for necessarily every individual within your community if the state already has that data or a good idea about, you know, what the general number is uh, in terms of that, that data point. So um, it may happen at some point. I know I was on a phone call earlier today and somebody asked about, uh, you know, garbage pickup, which some of our communities do do on their own. And so as the state needs more data, I'm sure they will ask for it. And if we have the ability to ask you for it, we will go ahead and do that. Um, right now, we're just trying to facilitate this as best we possibly can. Uh, if we can just get that two question surveyed answered on the winter maintenance side, uh, that will be a good start. And obviously, uh, we'll come back for more information should they request it or should they need it. Okay, great. Well, uh, speaking about other uh, kind of COVID related activity, um, the Michigan Municipal League Foundation was selected uh, by MEDC to administer um, a small, a $10 million small business grant uh, initiative that they've launched to help uh, businesses deal with the current uh, shutdown. Um, and the, the types of businesses are, are, are listed on there. The application window opens tomorrow at 9 a.m. And the Michigan Municipal Leagues Foundation, our job is gonna be taking all the applications in um, and they're, they're broken down by region. And then actually eventually mid to the end of January, we're gonna be distributing this funny, this money, not funny, this money. Um, and uh, so that's gonna be a big deal for us. It's, it's gonna, uh, we got all hands on deck to help the state administer this program. We really think it's a big deal, mostly for our members and our businesses, of course. This is, uh, they can get up to $15,000 in these small grants. I know, Jen, you're, you're a former MEDC person, uh, now of course with the league, and you were involved with this. Can you help explain a little bit about uh, this grant program and, and, uh, and how it's gonna help uh, our communities and our businesses? Sure, Matt. Um, this, is, this is a great opportunity for, and I'm glad you know we're talking about this so our members can make sure they're talking to their business, small businesses, um, and getting them prepared. Uh, the application is actually live now on MEDC's um, website, and we can drop we can drop a link here in the chat. Um, so the businesses can already be looking at that um, and uh, getting ready because tomorrow when the application opens, it is a first in um, type of situation because we, with most grant programs, I mean, there's always way more need than there is um, resources out there, uh, but it, it's $10 million, uh, $15,000, up to $15,000. It's working capital, so eligible um, costs for rent or mortgage, uh, payroll, utilities, and um, you know, the league really thought, the foundation thought this was a great opportunity to help further its mission. I mean, how long has the league and the foundation been working on recognizing um, what 
makes our community strong. They have to be economically strong. And so that's definitely support to small businesses. Um, and it's really businesses that have been affected by COVID, but specifically in this most recent, you know, three week pause that was just extended for another 12 days. So restaurants not being able to do indoor dining, entertainment sent, uh, venues like uh, movie theaters, bowling alleys, uh, there are travel and tourism. Um, uh, so just read through those eligibility requirements. And like you said, uh, the foundation um, is going to be tasked with once those applications all come in, um, sorting through those, checking for eligibility um, and some verification and then distribution of those funds. Yeah, and so we can't stress... Yeah, it's a it's a good deal for um, you know the members in our businesses particularly. So we're we're basically encouraging our members to let their business people know. So contact your local chambers if you have a, maybe an email list in your local community with some of your businesses, particularly these uh, these ones that are disproportionately impacted by COVID right now. Like you said, restaurants, uh, bars, bowling alleys, and there's a, a real detailed list there. You know, feel free to let them know and also stress with them the importance of getting their application in as soon as they can first thing tomorrow morning. The window period starts at 9 a.m. It sounds like Jen, you, the application's already there so they can already start working on it. Yes. But they need to they need to put it right away because we expect those to fill up probably or be all gone within the first day. Yep, and I think it's important to note, so this is funding through the Community mm -hmm. Development Block Grant, the CDBG program uh, that is from the HEROES, um, the first, the HEROES Act. Um, and so there are some um, federal requirements when it comes around eligibility. Um, I saw in the chat, question popped up from Facebook around, could other organizations apply for this? Um, look at the eligibility criteria because it's very specific to the businesses um, and who is eligible, uh, what's a micro enterprise versus a small business, things like that. And know that um, those are federal HUD requirements that the MEDC and hence uh, the, the League Foundation as the grant administrator have to abide by. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, and our, our, it, that's a good point, too, because our rules are pretty specific, you know, um, they, they really, you know, we, we pretty much have to follow what what is what is put laid out for us. So it's not like we can you know, pick and choose. We're pretty much the first ones in or the ones as long as they meet all the eligibility requirements. They're the ones that's going to be getting the money. So um, it's going to be pretty cut and dry as far as how that works. Anything else on that, Jen, before we go on? I don't think so. Okay, we did put a couple links there. Thank you, Betsy, for doing that uh, to the page that has all the details from MBDC and also the application. Um, there is a, I think it's a sample application, but you're saying, Jen, the actual application is now live, not just the sample ap application. So either one, but there, there's they're both on, one's on there. <laughs> Sorry, I had to unmute myself. Yes, I, I, I should say, I believe it's, it may be a sample. It's okay. what the application would look like, the questions that will be asked. Yes. Um, yeah. Somebody cannot fill out the actual application yet. They can just view it. Yeah. So you can look at, and you could have all your stuff and just copy and paste it, you know, come 9am tomorrow and drop it in and be ready to go. Yeah. Great. So also Cove, go ahead, Jen. 
the only other thing I should mention, Matt, is that it is a, a two-step process. Um, folks that will fill out that initial application, um, as long as they are eligible, there will be a step two um, where it requires some income verification um, because this is uh, CDBG, low to moderate income. And so there is um, a step two, but again, that information is viewable um, to look at what would be required for that income verification step. Okay. All right, uh, moving on to other COVID related issues. Um, uh, last week uh, was of course the second week of our lame duck session. Uh, the Senate was in, but the House uh, was not in because they had uh, some COVID cases and so they decided to cancel uh, those sessions or reschedule, I guess, those sessions. So Chris, what's the latest on that? When do we expect the House to be in and, and where are things standing as far as uh, legislation and things moving through lame duck? Matt. Yeah, we saw, I think we were all geared up last week for a, a heavy week uh, uh, workload as they were going to try and position themselves to be done uh, this week. Um, well, that nothing goes as planned in COVID and certainly COVID lame duck is uh, no exception for that. So yeah, with the house out uh, completely, the Senate was left to kind of fill in some of the gaps. What we saw is they did a number of things um, where they essentially took issues that they saw needing to get done and found vehicle bills that were Senate bills so they could move those to the House. And again, try and kickstart some of these issues that need to be finalized this week. Uh, there was quite a few pieces of legislation that were moved where we saw substitute versions uh, done on the Senate floor uh, to get those over to the House. Uh, I think the House will have a very, very heavy workload this week. We're already starting to see committees posting our government ops committee schedule. I think uh, the whole team will be in that committee tomorrow. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot, a lot we expect to see this week. Probably the biggest issue is uh, that the Senate did tackle, though, uh, was one that, that Jen's been, been running lead on. Uh, Jen, if you want to give a quick update on that. So uh, we did see the Senate last week move um, Senate Bill 1246, um, which is an extension to the Open, Open Meetings Act for uh, no reason virtual meetings. That would extend the ability to meet virtually uh, until the end of March. And then it also added um, ordinance as a way for a local emergency to be declared. Um, there's a host of other things that um, we'd like to see done that some other organizations um, would also like to see, but that stuff is gonna have to wait till next year. Uh, we're expecting uh, that's already been scheduled in the House Gov Ops Committee um, to be heard in a committee hearing tomorrow morning. Um, and then we expect a vote uh, in the full house this week and, and send it to the governor. Okay. So we do anticipate that one to get done. So, so I think I heard you right, Chris. You said the House it does have sessions this week. You also use the term of vehicle bills. What does that mean? I wasn't sure what that means. So, if there are bills that are already introduced in the same act, then new versions can be amended into those other bills, uh, even though they weren't necessarily planned for that original purpose. You can add other things into them in, in some instances. So we saw a lot of that happening this past week where other bills were used to as a vehicle to move a different issue. Again, just to keep to keep the process rolling along. I think there's some expectation that whereas they were gonna finish this week, potentially on the 17th, uh, we may see now uh, the week of Christmas, some session activity. And I know all of us just went 
So, uh, you know, it's, it, it could be a single day. It could be all three days. Uh, a lot will be determined by what gets done this week and the negotiations that are taking place this week. Okay. There's a lot kind of centering around uh, the governor's call for a supplemental. There's nothing in that supplemental right now that necessarily impacts directly our members, but uh, you know, there's kind of an empty shell bill right now, uh, and a lot of the negotiations uh, will, will, I imagine, will come around what the governor is looking for in that supplemental and what the legislature wants to negotiate in return. Okay. In our uh, community stabilization plan, which was kind of like our agenda for this lame duck session, we did talk about three issues. One was the Open Meetings Act issue, and that one, uh, as Jen already said, got passed to the Senate last week and now heads to the House. Where are we at with the other two issues, um, Headley Proposal A and income tax? Any any movement on those? Everybody's, oh, now people are back. Sorry, I'm seeing frozen screens on this end back and forth. So <laughs> technology today is uh, apparently challenging. Um, you know, I think when, you know, sorry, froze up again. You there, Matt? Yeah, I'm there. I can see you. You can just okay. keep talking. Oh, I'll, I'll, I'll yell if you're not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Can you repeat again? Yeah. So this question was on a community stabilization plan. We, we, the OMA ones is progressing. And the other two issues we called for in that plan was Headley Proposal A and the income tax. And I was just trying to get an update on those two for our members. So again, without with the we have House Bill 6454, which is the Headley Proposal A fix um, that we've that we've been forwarding. Uh, you know, with this house being gone and that being a house bill, it's, you know, we've, we've put in requests, but just the timing, I don't think will allow us to get, uh, to get a bill moving there. Uh, we'll see, again, things are very fluid, obviously, this week. Um, the city income tax bill is uh, slightly different. We do have uh, other city income tax act bills introduced uh, in both chambers. So we have an ability, just, just as we saw the Senate kind of take another bill and use it for a different purpose, uh, you know, we have an ability to continue pushing this uh, city income tax issue uh, within an existing bill uh, already in the House or the Senate. So that's some of the effort that we're having conversations with right now. It's, it's making sure that legislative leaders in the governor's office understand what an important priority these two issues are, uh, these three issues are. Uh, we obviously have the OMA piece moving, and you know we need to continue to push uh, and put pressure on the legislature to understand that these other two issues have to be dealt with before the end of the year. Okay, so so it looks like you know possibly you know it, it does feel like we did um, got good momentum going though, even though these aren't being tackled potentially this year. That going into next year, we have you know at least people are aware of them. They know that there are priorities, and they know where we stand, where our members stand. So it feels like we have good momentum going into next year. Absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I think, you know, we're hearing, we're getting feedback that, uh, you know, these, both of these issues, number of issues specifically on tax reform are being discussed up at the highest levels. Uh, there's certainly an understanding uh, as we talk about our city income tax communities, the size of the problem. Uh, I think complicating, complicating some of our conversations are, the unknown of what's going on at the federal level with stimulus and, and seemingly minute by minute changes in what's going to happen there. Um, you know, we're seeing more stuff on that front this morning, just in terms of the back and forth uh, on that federal stimulus. So there's, like I said, there's uh, a lot, a lot that could change and a lot that could change multiple times in the next four or five days. So okay. we're certainly going to continue putting pressure on 
uh, and talking with leadership about the importance of just giving you know a solid answer right now so that so that our local governments can know what they're facing what they're facing okay all right uh let me ask jen go back to you jen a little bit one of the big issues you've been working on for a long time now of course is the gravel mining issue um i know uh we we it looks like it's kind of stalled in the senate so uh, give me the latest on that well matt i'm glad to hopefully be talking about gravel mining right now for the last time this year um, <laughs> but i would just like to thank everyone yes i mean until they gavel out there's always the the possibility um, but you know seeing no action on the senate floor last week that you know window of opportunity for them to move that along uh, has shrunk quite a bit and so thank you very very much to everyone who continuously reached out to their senator and their rep um, and and talked about and expressed the opposition to this bill uh, we expect it to come back right away next year um, but again we're ready, willing, will be at the table. Um, and I think um, hopefully being able to uh, show the amount of opposition this year that we will be able to have some, some fruitful negotiations and not just check the box. We had local government in the room and we can say we talked to them. Okay. All right. And um, oh, I do want to talk about, there was a question that just came in, but I'll get to that one in a minute. Harrison, I know that you're working on a number of uh, different labor-related labor issues. Uh, give us an update on what those are and where they stand. Yeah, so happy to do that, Matt. So when Chris talked about earlier the vehicle bills, those were two that we saw happen in the Senate for us with House Bill 6448 and 6447. So a quick recap, these were the two bills that were introduced by Representatives Callie and Hall that would address the 14-day required quarantine for critical workers. Currently, um, folks who are exposed to COVID-19 are going to have to quarantine regardless um, if they come down with it or not for 14 days. And for some of our communities that have a set number of folks available to perform unique services, that can wipe them all out. So we wanna make sure that, you know, we have an opportunity for people to show up to work and continue the services they, can, they need to do, but safely. So we were excited to see the two Senate vehicle bills introduced uh, last week to show that the momentum on this is moving and it is a priority for the legislature. And so we have Senate bill, 1257 from Senator Schmidt and then 1258 from Senator McGregor. Exact duplicates and with the rules waived, they're now in the same position as the respective bills on the House floor. And so we've been continuing our conversations with the legislature and with the governor's office to explain that this is one of those priorities that we need to get done before the end of the year. And aside from all of the other you know, issues that folks see in the bill, one of them being the number of days you need to quarantine and which specific industries are allowed, we want to make sure that as we're moving forward in this, allow for the critical municipal services to continue, like road clearing, uh, public safety, 911 dispatch, and so on. And what's also been helpful, too, is the conversation about priority for vaccination. So John talked earlier about how we're helping out with transportation workers and how many of the agencies uh, across the state are working diligently to identify who those folks are that are critical. And what's really helpful about this is when we draw alignment to individuals in our communities who are critical employees who are in the 1A and 1B phases, it draws a direct line as to why we need to make sure that these folks have the ability to show up to work and continue the services they're going to provide without interruption. So we're in a good place. We're excited to look for a substitute in either chamber because the way the timeline looks, both, bills, both sets of bills can move 
in different ways. So we're just continuing those conversations. And it's helpful as well as our members are talking to their legislators, reminding them that there are municipal critical services that have to happen through this winter and that we need to get done before the end of the year. Okay. Uh, um, what are the questions? Go, go ahead, Just I did post uh, the blog that uh, we did a wrap up at the end of last week and Harasana's write up on those two bills are in there. So members can click and link right to the bills if they're interested in looking at them. I think the other thing that's important too, and Harrison, uh, you might want to touch on this. You have been in contact with the administration with regard to, um, you know, who who will be prioritized from a municipal standpoint and where. So if, if folks have any, you know have any interest in that, uh, give, give a quick update on what you learned from state police. In regards to the vaccination or to exemptions, yes. So the critical infrastructure team at Michigan State Police has been working diligently, like I mentioned, with different agencies on identifying who will be the folks to get the COVID-19 vaccine first. As John mentioned, you know, there's law enforcement, there's wastewater. And so a lot of these um, individuals be identified through the agency based on licenses or numbers that they already have. And so with so they're working on getting those numbers as well. So don't feel confused if you haven't been reached out to asking, you know, how many folks in law enforcement uh, would need to get the vaccine or how many wastewater employees do you have? Those numbers are being collected as well. Okay. Uh, and uh, one of the questions that might be for you, Harrison, or maybe for John, I'm not sure, is any thoughts on SB 0241 extending uh, not shutting off water for non-payment until March, 2021? Yeah, so that's, that's me. I'll tackle this one. We've talked about it a couple of times before. So Senate Bill 241, initially introduced by Senator Chang, would have been a complete moratorium on water shutoffs in perpetuity. Oh, it was forever. introduced before the <laughs> pandemic started. Yeah. Um, and then once we got into the pandemic, uh, the governor had issued an executive order, actually a couple of executive orders. Uh, but the last executive order that she issued, which was 144, on this topic would have extended uh, the moratorium on water shutoffs from her original executive order to December 31st of this year. Uh, and that was in preparation and in hopes that as we got to the end of the year, uh, that would no longer need to be in play. Um, once the Supreme Court uh, issued their ruling back in late June or early July, I don't remember exactly when it was now, uh, that executive order was no longer in effect. And since that point, the legislature has been trying to negotiate a compromise on this. Uh, since it took them so long, obviously extending it only to the end of this year wouldn't make a lot of sense. Uh, and much like Jen has talked about with OMA, you know, extending it through that first quarter of the year to make sure the legislature's back in, they can adjust to their new schedule and new members, you know, allows them some additional time. Uh, we have been in a, a general discussion with the administration and the legislature about this, but this negotiation really took place amongst leadership as a way in which to recognize that the pandemic was still ongoing and people needed access uh, to clean water uh, to make sure that they could wash their hands and do other things, but that this is not something that could happen forever because there is a real uh, impact to our uh, water and sewer infrastructure and, and the funds in which we utilize to pay for that. So. You know, I think this will be an ongoing conversation. Um, there was some recent news out of the city of Detroit just this last week about how they are going to try to end water shutoffs uh, forever uh, in their program and are finding different funding sources in which to do that, which is really good news. Uh, but not every community has that, that same advantage that Detroit does in terms of maybe the ability to go out and raise dollars or find some 
philanthropic dollars to help fill some of those gaps. Um, so right now it will be extended to the end of March, likely with an ongoing conversation based on when the pandemic could finally be at its, at its end or close to its end. Uh, but I don't see uh, us not being involved in that ongoing conversation or them extending this much further, if at all. Okay. All right. Well, thank you, John, for that. So uh, let's talk a little bit about you. Chris already alluded to it, the federal uh, stimulus package or proposal. We've been back and forth. It seems like one moment they're close on getting a deal and the next moment they're not. And what's the latest on that, John? Is it anything that's going to benefit our communities? Yeah, uh, man. I don't know, Matt. <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I really wish I did. Up. Yeah. I, so I think there's a number of things going on. And, and Chris, obviously, you and I have been been having a number of conversations uh, with the National League of Cities and some of the negotiations that are going on out there. There's a lot of talk about the bipartisan group of, of legislators that got together out there uh, that will will, or, or I should say, have negotiated a, a piece of legislation that would include $160 million for state and local funding. It's like a $906 million overall package. Uh, you couple that with Republicans' desire to see some liability protections for business. And that's really the two areas where we see the biggest breakdown or at least differences in agreement. I think there's a, a pretty broad consensus on things like additional small business uh, loans, additional money, uh, for unemployment and things like that. And now the, the recent trend has really turned to maybe pulling out the liability protections and pulling out uh, revenue for states and local governments, which honestly, you know, not commenting specifically on the liability protection here, but, but on the local uh, funding is, that is not something we would see because it makes it harder and harder to get into the future. So we continue to advocate that it be included in the, in the federal stimulus that is hopefully to pass here before they, they leave for the end of the year. Um, we know that that money at $160 million will, will make a tremendous difference. And Chris, I, you know, I don't know how much you know, we want to speculate about distribution in this case, but I think you know, what we know is of that, that 160, about 8 million has got to go to tribal governments uh, and then the rest will be split evenly between state and local units. And then likely to break that down a little bit further, the local pot will then be split between county governments and then in, in the state of Michigan, uh, townships, cities, and, and villages. So I don't know, Chris, if there's more you want to add there, but. No, I think that's, that's right. I think it's still unknown as they continue to negotiate the pieces. I think they feel comfortable. Everything we're seeing is they feel comfortable with the the state and local funding piece is fairly well crafted right now from a compromise standpoint, but without a compromise on the business liability issue that the Senate Republicans are asking for, then state and local aid will not be included in a, in a bill. So that's, you know, you, you saw the, the administration put out a proposal with uh, Secretary Mnuchin uh, last week uh, up for 916 billion. Uh, versus the 908 billion that the bipartisan group had put together. So they're all talking the same dollar amount ballpark. The issue really is coming down to what will Democrats be able to accept on business liability and what will Republicans be able to accept on state and local aid. Uh, one of the things that we were hearing from our partners at NLC and that, and that we reached out through our, our own board of trustees, and I know through some of the uh, Urban Core Mayors group that you've worked with, John, is we were hearing consistently that uh, Republican senators are saying, 
look, we don't know that state and local aid is really a problem because we're not hearing from local governments. Uh, and that's something that obviously in Michigan uh, is, it, there's a huge problem. We're talking about it with our community stabilization plan. Uh, we're talking about it from a, a property tax and income tax standpoint. You know, for communities in Michigan, this is a real immediate issue. And so sharing, sharing that story, not only with Senator Stabenow and Peters, um, who are, are obviously Democrats from Michigan, but also with the Senate Republican leadership, Senator McConnell and the other members of the Senate Republican team, it's important to let them know that this isn't an issue. There is an actual budget impact for local governments is happening today. Uh, and it's not due to fiscal mismanagement or uh, you know, you know, bad decisions. This is due to COVID and they need to understand that and, and hear that from local governments all across the country. We've been working to continue that and we encourage members to do that as well. Yeah, for sure. And I'm posting a link right now in the chat. Uh, it's a blog that we wrote about the NLC asking our members for help to 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 they they set up a letter uh, that you can send your uh, congressional delegation right now um, to explain that you know the local support is needed. Uh, direct lo uh, funding to our local governments is, is definitely something that's needed because as Chris. Uh, uh, said, you know, the Senate was like, well, we haven't heard from local government, so we assume they don't need any money. It's like, well, that's not the case at all. So um, I think uh, we definitely stepped up our game on that uh, issue uh, last week, but uh, keep the pressure on um, is, is definitely encouraged. Yeah. Hey, Matt, I, I want to say one other thing uh, about this. Um, and, and part of it is just because I think, you know, Chris and I and Harrison and Jen sometimes just find this interesting, but I do think it's interesting to mention it because from a member perspective, this could go in a lot of different ways. Chris had mentioned this alternative plan out there that's about $916 million. That plan, which is different than the other one, includes direct payments to individuals. Um, and should this bill happen to be scaled back at some point, you know, there is support from a Republican senator and a, and a Dem senator to add, uh, and they will likely try and force a vote on adding payments to individuals into this package at some point, which could drastically change the number or the amount uh, that that package is valued at, which could again, you know, even if there's a compromise on the deal, could throw a wrench into things. And so I, I think as we watch this, just understand that there are multiple moving parts to this and multiple things that could impact it, both potentially positively and negatively, uh, depending on you know, whether you're an individual, whether you're a corporation, whether you're a state and, and local entity. Um, so those are the types of things that we're watching very, very closely within this negotiation uh, to see how it all plays out. But I, I think Chris is right. You know, at, at some point, I think the general number is, is roughly agreed on. What are all the things that make it into that to try and, and get the votes is gonna be a different discussion. But, at some point, we'll know more. Uh, the other thing I would say is, you know, the the Congress last week had passed a short-term continuing resolution on funding. Uh, it lasts a week. Um, that expires this Friday, the 18th, and that will also drive this conversation as well. So it's just one more piece of information to sort of watch as we're paying attention out there. Okay. Well, good. Well, that's um, that's the thing. I all the things I had on my list. Is there anything I'm missing, Chris, that you wanted to bring up? I just encourage members again go back to our Inside Toy blogs. The last couple of blogs we've written about lame duck activity. Those are you know all of those issues are still alive uh, in terms of things that we're fighting for. I know Jen will be in committee on 
historical tax credit and John's working on movable bridges. Harisana mentioned the, the, the COVID uh, quarantine issue. Uh, there's a, a multitude of tax issues that are coming up that we expect this week. And so members being aware and engaged is so important as we move. And like I said, this will be a, a week of, of a flurry of activity. So stay, keep your inbox, uh, keep, keep tuned to your inbox this week. Yeah, yeah. You and your latest blog, you have several several bills that you're following on there with with uh, good details on there. So I definitely encourage people to go to Inside Two Hundred Eight, our blog, and uh, subscribe to that if they don't already. You'll get timely updates um, when the, a new blog is posted. You'll get an email sent to you. So please subscribe to that if you have aren't already subscribing. Um, so uh, uh, hopefully this will be our last Monday morning live before the holiday break. Uh, we'll be back in January otherwise, but uh, obviously if something big happens between now and the next few days, we, we'd be more than happy to do another one of these if we need be. Um, so I just wish everyone a safe and a healthy uh, holiday season um, and appreciate you tuning in. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Have a Thanks, good day. Sarah. This has been a production of the Michigan Municipal League. For more information on our programs and services, please visit www.mml.org and join us for the next episode of We Love Where You Live.